Blog Talk Radio. You are holy. 
God has answered so many prayers, and there's so much shut up in my heart that I want to share with God's people as God gives me strength. And I had such an overwhelming desire to accept Pastor's invitation to be here today. It was like fire in my bones. And I'm here in the name of the Lord, and I believe God has given me a message that will affect you maybe all of your life. And if I didn't believe there was power in preaching the word of God under the anointing, I would have quit and gone on a long time ago. I want to introduce my wife in just a moment. I want to say concerning pastoring as well. I've known John Aaron since he's a little boy. As an instance, I never had the opportunity of getting acquainted with him. Now, boy, my boys and, and the little boys, they, you know, they played, played together and did all their things together. But uh, I never had that opportunity. But recently, Pastor and I have had occasion to meet and share some time together. And the thing that strikes me about him is how much he loves you as a church and how his desire is to never hurt you or disappoint you, but to be a good shepherd that really ministers to the flock that God has given him. And there's a lot of preachers out there that are commercial types, but you've got a real shepherd, and you can thank God for a man with a clean, pure heart and good motives, and he wants to be a blessing to you. And that goes through every conversation we have, and I'd honor him for making that commitment that he would be a faithful and good shepherd and love every person that comes through these doors with an un, unqualified love, no, no strings attached love. So, Pastor, you're honored. I hope I can have some small part in encouraging you in your walk with God and in the ministry. <laughs> As Pastor got pulled out of me, I have now finished 65 years of full-time ministry. I mean, front line, no holes barred. Sometimes I say, if you get close to me, you can smell the smoke of the battle in the old soldier's clothes because it has not been a game. It's been a battle. And our Lord is triumphant. And I celebrate his goodness. Well, to say, wouldn't you know, this morning I woke up with a nosebleed. Now, what else can go wrong? Uh, but anyway, to save my voice, to save my strength, uh, I want my wife, Loving, to come and share with you a few minutes about her side of our ministry. We are an unusual family. Living has her own ministry, her own board, her own staff, her own checking account, and I'm the old man who shows up in the luggage every now and then. <laughs> but she's done a fabulous job in a very unique ministry, and she's been faithful to near 40 years. And I really appreciate the anointing that's on her life. Now, we just celebrated our 60th wedding anniversary. So you guys are there. You guys that are scrabbling and taking little pot shots at each other and threatening to bail out, I got a word for you. Stop it. You can make it. Just shut up. Get your spirit right. Knock it off. Get your life straight with God. Because God put that person in your life for a purpose. Love has been such a blessing. By the way, that's her real name. And, and she lives the part. Love it, would you come? I'm going to sit right here and make sure she does it right. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
delighted and visited one time before, but just uh, so glad to be here. And someone left that lovely flyer at our door yesterday, and I want to commend you for that. You know, I don't care how good a pastor is, how good of a preacher he is, he cannot build a church by himself. It takes people who are committed to help. Those good volunteers that say, I'll do that for you, Pastor. So whoever left that at my door, thank you. And um, if you're not helping Pastor, do because no pastor can go to church alone. And uh, I know that he is grateful, and I know he has some wonderful people. I have a person here that was a fantastic, wonderful volunteer that volunteered for me for years, as long as she could drive, and that Miss Mary was grandmother. And uh, what a blessing she was to us. We love this family. Okay, uh, commercial time, and then I'll tell you a little about the ministry. This book is free. If you want a copy, you go back to the table and give us your name and address. And it is about the 100 years it took to translate the Bible into the Tibetan language, but it is not boring. It's very exciting to see how God intervenes in all situations. And the forward in the book is written by Sadell. He didn't write the book, <laughs> but the forward is written by Sadell telling how we came to have this book and how the grandson of the man the story is about has worked with his ministry for over 25 years now. But it's a free book, and I'll start reading it at 10 o'clock at night unless you plan on being up all night because you will finish it before you quit because it's that good. Uh, there's a couple of things on the table that are for sale, and I'm not going to take time to talk about them, but just go back and take a look. And if you're interested, you know the reason we have them in the pockets go to feed our kids that don't have sponsors at this time because we have a lot of them that are without sponsors. Um, this packet of material is free. Feel free to pick it up. There's some at the back table and there's some at the table over there. It's totally free. And um, one side of the material is about the work that I head up in that the child care ministry, the sponsorship. The other side is about the Bible translation. And um, I hope it's just some past newsletters and a few things that will give you a little history of the ministries and kind of help you know what we do. Um, at the table, I do have children who need sponsors. This side is the elementary. Children, the one that's like this is our high school kids, and the one that's like this is the college kids. So if the Lord touches your heart to sponsor a child, if you've ever considered doing that, I would be honored to have you sponsor one of our children. Uh, I really pray about what I should share with the congregation. I could keep you here two weeks telling you about our kids that have grown up and what they're doing now as pastors, as teachers, as all kinds of professions at, that were just thrown away kids on the street. Because now, as Fidel says, it's actually been 38 years, so we can have a lot of our kids that are grown now and are back teaching and working in the same children's home and church and, and yes, churches, because we do have churches on the ground for most of our uh, children's homes. But um, being a new congregation, totally to us, we do have some friends here that we've known for a long time, but, but most of you are new to us. 
I felt the Lord would have me tell you about the beginning, how God touched our hearts. Um, 30, little over 38 years ago, Sabelle and I made our first trip to Calcutta, India. It was um, something that made an impact on my life forever. As we were landing, you could even smell the stench of the city. And as we drove that 17 miles from the airport into the church where he was going to be speaking to a pastor's conference, there were these huge culverts in the street along the road. And I said, what are those for? And they said, well, they've been there for years, but they're supposed to someday put them in the ground to take care of the sewage problems. In every one of those culverts, there was a family living. We got into the city, and there were people laying on the streets. There were people sleeping on the streets. There were people who... Their total living quarters was uh, a piece of fabric that was stretched from a building that they attacked it onto out to some sticks. That was their total, total open to the world. And all of this touched my heart. But more than that, it was the kids. And we had been to the church, and the church had, or we went to the church from there, and the church had a school that they had opened, and they had taken in 600 kids. Those kids were happy, they were clean, they were learning, they were praying, they were doing, learning scripture. They were just like our kids at home. But then I went out on the street, and here were the little kids with their bloated stomachs, many of them with no clothes at all, begging. Calcutta has improved today, but if you went there today, you, you wouldn't know it. You would still think, what a sad, sad situation. But one day we were driving along and um, they had given us the driver. <laughs> they were driving that traffic, especially your first time. And they had given us the driver and it was an old car. We had to have our windows down. And all of a sudden we just came to a sudden stop. We couldn't move. We had been told, don't give anything to anybody on the streets because if you do, you will be surrounded. You won't be able to, to move at all if you give anything to anyone. Well, these three little boys came up to our window that was down to get some air, and they just started begging, Ashish, Ashish, food, food. And they kept begging and finding one of the little boys when he saw that we were not responding. And the reason we didn't, we were just about ready to, and our driver turned around and shook his head at us. And we knew he meant, don't do that, or we won't, we definitely won't move. This one little boy stuck his hand in, and it was. Not a hand, but a little nub. We had been told that some parents would even even maim their children at birth so they could beg because they couldn't make a living. We don't know how. We just know it was a little ragged nub that he stuck through the window and almost touched the bell on the nose and looked to right in the eye and said, Love me, mister. Love me, mister. Please love me. So now those man said, we're hearing the cry of the world. And you know, that's really what people are crying for. They're crying to know that they're loved 
that there is a God that loves them. Some of them don't even know that's what they're crying for. That's what they're crying for. Another day he took us where they were burning the bodies of the people who were picked up off of the streets that morning who had died on the streets. And they had them up on like little makeshift, almost like a big barbecue thing, and they had the kids and the people, children, adults, whatever, that had died on the street. They were burning their bodies. And he looked at me and he said, does this bother you? I said, no, sir. This doesn't bother me. Because it's too late for him. I said, what bothers me is that multitude out there. How can we reach them? And that's the question I kept asking the Lord. I kept saying, oh God, how do we reach them? And the Lord would say, what's his name one at a time? You just have to reach them one at a time. And you know, that's really the way it is here, too. We don't see that kind of a situation, thank the Lord we know. But we've got so many that know nothing about what it means to serve a real God. Well, I'm going to try to cut this short so I'll tell you kind of about the ending we went. We, we went to the dump, I can't leave that out. We went to the dump. It was a huge pile. We went because the church had a little um, rolling kitchen, and they would go out there every day and feed these kids a little cup of water made from powdered milk. I mean, milk, made from powdered milk. And a little chapati. Got like a little tortilla about that big. And they told us this is all the food these kids will have to eat all day long. And they said this garbage has been gone over probably three times before it gets here. But the kids were climbing all over it, digging for a chicken bone or an apple cores, orange peel, anything they could find to eat. So then the day we went to the church to, at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they would open their gate and then give the kids a cup of milk, a little piece of a little chitani. There was about 1,200 kids, they said, that day. That was just dropping the bucket to what was out there on the street. And they again said, this is just the only meal these kids will have all day. And Isabel and I stood there looking at these kids that half of them had tuberculosis. They had hair falling out, their little bloated stomachs. And we said, we've got to do something about this. Our whole vision was to come home and get him or 15 of our friends to sponsor a kid for this wonderful missionary couple or something. That's what doing this work with these people and helping these kids. That was our total vision. I came home and I started talking about it, the bill started mentioning to people, and before long we had a hundred. I didn't know what to do with it. I certainly didn't feel like I had the ability. I didn't know where to go with it. But you know what? Availability is more important than ability sometimes. If you make yourself available to God when he speaks to your heart, he'll help you get the ability. I still don't think I'm the most qualified 
But today, we have thousands of kids who have grown up and now have a normal adult body. Many of them doing things for God, working for God, but serving Him, living for Him, that had we not stood there that day and said, we have to do something. They, they certainly wouldn't know the Lord, but probably would even be dead by now. So I just thank the Lord for the blessing that he has been. And if God touches your heart and you want to sponsor one of the kids, they're on the table back there, and you're welcome to look at them and just do whatever Lord speaks to you. God bless you.
Joe, would you come, please? He's going to give her a card off the board. I hope you are sensing really the anointing of God here, touching personally. That God is setting the stage, even as there's been talk about practical things and how ministry has fun. God is setting a stage to speak to you directly and minister to you directly. I don't know what God's going to do in your life today, but I guarantee you that most of you are not going to be able to walk out of here and say, God didn't touch me. You're going to, you're going to experience something, and you are experiencing something from God simply by having a vision set before you. But God many times wants to deal with us directly, personally, about our own business, but sometimes he just wants to burden us with compassion for others. He wants to burn it up the compassion to see how only those who are next door to us would be Jesus, the those who are around the world that need God. And, and he needs you to be him with skin on He needs you to help activate the kingdom of God on the earth today. And, and I believe that God is speaking to you right now. I believe that the Holy Spirit is literally hovering in this place, moving among us, so that he deals with some of these practical things and how we're sharing the vision. Don't, don't for a moment think that supernatural transaction is not taking place because the Holy Spirit is having the stage set for him to move in your life. And I believe he already is in so many ways. I'm so proud of my parents. I'm, I'm particularly proud of, of my fathers to talk about the Bible translation. There's a lot of talk with many of you who knew him back years and years ago just about the time he turned 65, he had a heart attack. Or, uh, how old were you when he had a heart attack? At least 65. And he had a heart attack, and my friend who's a medical doctor pulled his, his file and, and said, you know, doctors, all of these customers to describe a heart attack like this. He said, this is serious business. And, uh, and so... You know, we're thankful that not only did he survive, he came out healthy and really hasn't had that issue ever since. But there was a lot of talk about him retiring. And the last 17 years have been some of the most productive and fruitful years of his life. And, and I believe that we can retire from the corporate world, but we never retire from the call of God on our lives. We never retire from being active in the kingdom of God and helping the purposes of God we've seen on the earth. And one of the things that was accomplished was the building of a, a training center for Bible translation um, in Nagaland, India. And Nagaland is on the northern border of India. It's in a very strategic location. And, and it's become even more strategic in recent years. And in that training center, one of the things that God has accomplished in his life is he's not only been successful in his own ministry, but his success has challenged others in Bible translation to adopt some new ways of doing things, some new ideas, some new uh, innovations. And so the time um, that is necessary to translate the Bible into another language has been cut down for about 25 or 30 years, which is what was being talked about when my dad went into Bible translation ministry when I was 15 years old. Now we're talking in terms of 7 to 10 years to translate the New Testament and, and one of the things that's happening is this is a training center. There's been groups of people brought in, and they're trained, and then they're set away to do the translation, and they're trained, and then they're set away to do the translation. That's where people start passing around. So you can look at every single one of those sorts of gospels of Luke or John. Ten, ten, ten language groups. So the gospel of Luke has just been translated through ten different languages. It took how long to do 18 months. 18 months of translation, training, training, and then translation, and back and forth, so that these people, now as you read that, if you can really read it, we know you have the gift of, of interpretation. <laughs> and the Spirit goes with you today. But understand that, that this is a powerful new way of doing things, and it's been pioneered by advanced Bible translators. Bottom line is, millions of people have the Word of God for the first time in the history of the world in their own language touching their lives today. And they say, you know, Paul ended his ministry, and as far as we know, in a dungeon in Rome. Oh, and, and 
He was limited in his ability to move around. He was limited in his ability to communicate. But today, the sun will never set on an inch of this earth that the gospel is not being proclaimed and Palm Sunday is not being celebrated around the world. This gospel is being preached every time, every nation. And, it, and the kingdom of God is advancing at a rapid pace and is calling us to get out of our comfort zone, to get out of the harbor mentality, to get out of the mentality where we drive into our, our, our garages and shut the garage door and we have no concern outside of our four walls or four walls of our church and to have a desire to touch the world for the gospel. And so as that minister students preaches to you understand that this doesn't happen without people praying and sowing financially into the ministry. One of the great needs is now that these Bibles are being produced. They need to be printed. And every time a new Bible is translated, every time we get a new gospel, we celebrate that, but then there's a need for at least 10,000 of them to be printed. And no matter where you are in the world, that doesn't happen for free. That might be one area that you pray about uh, being involved in. I would be remiss this morning if I didn't introduce my wife Beth. Just so you can leave late or stand up. And uh, we're so happy to be here. And Beth is a, a wonderful addition to my life. And our marriage is, is really being blessed. And one of the things that, that God gave her is this thing called a soul sign. And the proceeds, as my mom mentioned, are the soul sign help uh, feed some kids. And so we'll go back there and take a look. And also, we have some wonderful kids. She didn't want to say this, but let me say, it's some of the best coffee in the world. It's flown and fresh from Costa Rica, and artisan roasted in Boston. So you want to take a look at the coffee and the soul sign and the materials we have in the back. And we're, what we're doing is we're inviting you to, to as a spiritually come into relationship with the, the ministry that God has called us to do and partner with us in whatever way. Some of you may be praying, some may volunteer, some may sponsor a Bible translation project, or, or you may want to feed a kid. But we're inviting you to participate in the kingdom of God halfway around the world. And and rock the mighty rock. Amen. That change something. Hopefully you still have to preach. We have Bible translation projects in nineteen locations around the world. We just finished a big project in China. We have a huge project going on in the mountains of central Russia. The Jews migrated to Russia over a thousand years ago, intermarried with a group of people called the Tots, who were influenced by the Muslim, and it's a mixture of Old Testament Jews and Muslim faith. It's a mess. And we have a translator in there writing the scriptures. Genesis is finished, and She's writing the stories of the Old Testament, and the top people are reading them and celebrating their heritage of a thousand years ago. So, we have a big project in Guatemala. So, the administrative work goes on here in Rockwall. You know, there's some people walk 1,200 miles to ask me to train them to write a Bible for their own. People, tribal people, the sons and daughters of headhunters. I had the privilege of speaking to the Rotary Club here in Rock Hall one day, and uh, there were three people there that knew me. And I said, It's strange to me. I told them, It's strange to me that I've lived in Rock Hall 25 years. There's not maybe three of you who have ever heard of me. And yet, people in northern Burma will walk 1,200 miles to get to talk to me in person about writing a Bible in their own language. I said, there's just something wrong with that picture. So, so I decided to drop the subject at that point and move on. I said, no. All right, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and then uh, I'll tell you how I want you to listen. In John 19... 
verse 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was sent a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled his bond with vinegar, and they put it on his and put it to his mouth. Next week, you're going to be dealing with the next verse where he said it's finished. Seven times, John spoke from the cross. Any pastor who is passing any length of time is almost heaven bound to preach a series of sermons on the sayings of Jesus, what he said from the cross. I'm not going to try to cover all seven of them, but I do want to deal with this, or Jesus said, I thirst. Now, I want you to look straight at me, and I want you to say, that old man has something to say. And and I'm going to wake up, or I'm going to miss it. And uh, I want to open my heart and my spirit and hear what the Lord might have to say to me. Now, I want to confess to you that it literally took months, if not years, for me to wrap my mind and my spirit around the implications of what Jesus was saying when he said, I thirst. I think it came to me in more clarity when I was able to take 48 of our Bible translators to Israel for a month and keep them there to study the Old Testament and how to go about writing the Old Testament. And, of course, one day we spent at Calvary, and the instructor told us, now Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the women and the friends sat over here, and he described the scene very vividly, and it was hard to, you know, even comprehend. said, our Lord died an excruciating death all that snow and dirt that I was I was sitting there when Jesus died and I was looking at the grassy knoll where maybe fifteen or twenty, 20 friends, also women, sat while he died. And I could hear him in my spirit saying all those seven things he said. And I heard him say, I thirst. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that Jesus, hanging on the cross, was the embodiment of Jehovah God. God had come to pick up his residence in that earthly body. And that... The mystery of mysteries is that Jesus was as much God as he ever was, and yet human, hanging on that cross. And here, sitting a few feet away from a bleeding, dying Savior, is all kind of examples of humanity. And what we have here, and you listen to me carefully, because it remember it took me years to get my mind around this. We have divinity, we have a holy God hanging on the cross, crying out to human beings, confessing that he has a need. He is confessing to those who are living on that I'm hanging on this cross. I'm helpless, but you have the ability to minister to me, and I'm calling on you to minister to me. I thirst, he said, and he expected a response. Now, this may oversimplify, but please allow me that privilege. This is Jesus praying to humanity. This is divinity praying to humanity. And I ask myself the question, 
if God never called on me, if God ever reached out and dared ask me to do a fraction of what I'd ask him to do, what would my response be? And how would I respond? And yet, as I've lived for God now well over 75 years, I can tell you there are times when God says to me, and I believe to you, I have no hands but your hands. I have no heart but your heart. I have no feet but your feet. God, in some mysterious way, has limited himself on earth to what we can do through his empowerment. He will not go beyond that boundary. He will always, whatever he wants to do, he will look for a human being that he can call on to be hands and feet for him. Therefore, it becomes incumbent, it becomes powerfully necessary that we be attuned to the voice of God, that we be able to hear God when he speaks, and above all, be obedient to his will. Let me, let me give you a, just a quick example. I was in a little church in North Carolina, and I mentioned that one of our missionaries in Peru desperately needed a jeep. I didn't expect a church of less than 100 to buy a jeep. I didn't even expect them to remember that I said it. It just came out in passing. I had no strings attached. It was just a comment that flowed out of my heart in the middle of a sermon. And after the sermon, a young couple came, and they said, we just paid the last payment on our Jeep. It's our toy. We don't really need it. It's like new. We want to give it to that missionary. And it frightened me. I, I said, now, look, I'm not in the business of taking advantage of people's emotions. So first thing I want you to do is to continue to pray about it. Then I want you to talk to your pastor about it. We gotta have his approval because I'm not in the business of manipulating people. So we we need to pray about this. And I've been here through Sunday and I want you to tell me Sunday what God is saying to you. I got to church Sunday night. There was only one vehicle there. It was theirs. And they couldn't wait for me to get out of my car. They said, oh, Pastor, God is speaking to us stronger than ever. We are to give that G to that couple. And I said, if you were sure, God is speaking to you. They said, God is speaking to us, and there's no denying it. We are hearing from God for the first time in our lives to do something very special for him. He is talking to our hearts. I said, okay. So a man in the church volunteered to drive the Jeep to Miami or we could put it on a ship. It was put on a ship, sent down to Peru, and Peru was ruled by a communist government in those days, and they impounded our Jeep, the government, impounded our Jeep, wanted us to pay $10,000 tax to get it out from behind the fence. And we didn't have the money, and it made me mad that they even asked for it, and I wasn't easy to deal with about it. And basically, we're not going to pay it. You find a way to release it, because God is giving that couple that cheap. You're going to have to answer to God if you don't let them have it. And so, so time went by, and this missionary couple, well, we go down and visit their Jeep. They look at it through the fence and pray over it. And one Sunday after church, they went down to visit their Jeep, and there was only one guard on duty, an old man with a pistol strapped to his hip. And this old man said to them, whose Jeep is that? And they said, it's ours. He said, why don't you have it? He said, oh, the government 
the government wants us to pay $10,000 we don't have. We're going to use it in our mission work. The old man talked to him a little bit. said, you think the engine will start? The young missionary said, it'll be a miracle. It was on that ship several weeks. It's been sitting here in this impound uh, lock for several weeks. The old man said, why don't you try The missionary looked, and the keys were in the ignition. He turned the key, and the engine roared to life. And the old man said, now get out of here and don't look back. God has a way. And so in the first 10 days, that just in the hands of those missionaries, it saved two women's lives. They were trying to give birth up in the mountains and couldn't, and the missionary brought them down to the hospital in the Jeep. Two of them in 10 days. Now, what I want you to see and understand, somebody in Peru prayed. Somebody in Peru cried out to God. And God heard their cry. And God expressed by the Holy Spirit his need for a partner on earth to supply a jeep and another partner who would take it out of here and go back. Uh, and so the jeep has long since been worn out. The man that we gave the jeep to was martyred by the communists. He and his two brothers. But the testimony goes on. And the, what I want you to hear loud and clear is that often God hears the prayer of somebody in India, somebody in Africa, somebody down the street, and God is eyes are running to and fro, and his heart is searching for somebody who is tuned in to his wavelength. How many times have I been awakened during the night? And God's saying to me, I want you to take care of this. This is, these are one of my, some of my children, and I want you to take care of it. Sometimes I think I hear God moans in the night. I want to live connected to the heart of God. I want God to be able to speak to me, even at this age. And I want to say, here am I, send me. If you need something done, and I'm the only hands you have, never let it be said that these hands rebel against you or that my heart said no to you. What did they do to Jesus that day? They filled a sponge with vinegar, pressed it to his lips, a symbol of rebellion. And when you say no to God, when you say no, I'm not willing for my children to go to the mission field, I'm not willing for my son or daughter to be in the ministry. No, you're saying no to God. You are pressing that goal and vinegar to his lips. And that is rebellion. And God, help us. God may be speaking to you to sponsor one of those kids. We need $10,000 now to print those Bibles you held in your hand. God may be speaking to you. Don't say no. Don't put vinegar to his lips. Don't press the sour vinegar of gall and gall to his lips. He's saying, I first. I have a need. Can you imagine Jehovah God, the creator of the universe, looking down from his throne in heaven and saying, I have a need that only a mortal can meet. And if we would be as quick to answer prayer, God's prayer, God's request of us, because he is to answer our prayer, what a different world it would be. Let no rebellion raise its head in this house. Let this house be a house of obedience. For obedience is a lifestyle where you don't have to worry about it. You just do it because... I want you to come back to Calvary with me. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to sit in the presence of God. And I want you to hear Jesus 
crying out from the cross, I thirst, I thirst, I thirst, I have a need. I minister to your needs. I've healed your bodies, saved your soul. Now I have a need, and I'm crying out to you to make yourself available to me. Let's pray together. Would you stand, please? Pastor's going to come and close the sermon. Father, first of all, I want to thank you for the patience of your people. I want to thank you that they've been patient and been willing to wait, hear us out. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit hovering over us as we consider one of the most profound ideas there is in Scripture. The very idea that Jehovah God, in the person of Jesus, would have a need that the likes of us could meet is too overwhelming for the human mind. And yet, somehow by the Holy Spirit, help us to grasp what it means to open our heart, our spirit, and make our strength, our gifting, our very life a blessing to the one who gave us life and who redeemed us. Hallelujah. I bless this congregation. I bless this pastor. I bless this pastor's family. I just pray a special anointing upon them. And I pray that somehow you will allow me and my family to be a blessing to this pastor and his family. Praise God for your holy presence. That's here. Let's give the Lord a hand and just worship him as possible. I just I wanted an opportunity to bless this ministry. I want you guys to see Don and Wendy Alexander, what real missionaries, what the real lives spent to the gods to look on. And uh, I pray the importation of strong finish would be on me.